A lot of people have heard about the practices of sleep hygiene and are using them but still struggle to achieve sleep. It may seem like sleep is something that either happens effortlessly or not at all. Recent research, however, suggests that falling asleep is a skill that can be learned. I'm Sharif Yunus with Dr. Kevin Majors, and this is The Golden Hour. Sleep fits into a bigger picture of working and living according to your highest ideals, a complete view that you can find in our online masterclass. In this four-week masterclass, available on OptimalWork.com, Dr. Majors will guide you through all the key ideas of Optimal Work with exercises provided to help you master them. Now let's get started. Hey, this is Sharif Yunus here with another episode of The Golden Hour, joined by Dr. Kevin Majors. Kevin, good to be back here with you. Hey, Sharif, great to be back. Well, Kevin, we just finished an episode on the deadline benefit last week, uh, and it, it got me thinking a little bit about things that where the deadline benefit might not apply. Uh, so things where it's less about doing and getting things done. Not that the deadline benefit is all about just getting things done. It's not. It's also about priority, intensity, order. Uh, but stopping. Yeah, yeah, stopping. But but there, there are things that aren't about getting things done where that's not an essential part, like spending time with others. Or I think a good one that I'd like to discuss with you more today is falling asleep. So how do we think about the deadline benefit in relation to these things? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, it seems that the use of the deadline benefit is that you can put more order into things and prioritize, as you're saying. You can make it more intense and keep that intensity up to the very end. But with sleep, that would really be counterproductive. Now, we do talk about like that you end sleep on time, jumping out of bed, the moment your alarm first sounds. Uh, and that that does actually improve the quality of sleep, you know, and, but in falling asleep, that's, you know, and I see this a lot in my practice, people who are coming just not essentially not knowing how to fall asleep. So, and I think in the, you know, in, when people are under lockdowns in a home and there's less division between work and home, uh, sleep problems really rose, you know, in, in general. So I like to teach people that there are skills to following asleep. There's, a, I think it's a, it's a trainable skill that, that you can you can develop, uh, but it doesn't work doing it on a deadline of any kind. In fact, you need to have the sense that you have as much time as it's going to take. You know, and there's also the sense that we talk about where sleep really benefits from a bit of benign neglect. So if you get too intent on maximizing sleep, uh, what I call sleep greed, so sleep greed ends up undermining them, the whole foundation, you know, because some people, not everyone, but it's going to be maybe 20 to 30% of people will eventually struggle at some point with being able to fall asleep. And that's called insomnia um, or waking up and not being able to go back to sleep, which is another kind of insomnia. Uh, so, but I think that these are, there are skills involved that people never really talk about that could be cool for us to go into today. Yeah, that sounds great. Yes, uh, the just a brief remark on the idea of sleep benefiting from benign neglect. That's also been what's 
helped me to, I remember one time when I was very short on sleep one day, um, actually, I, no, I was stopping caffeine. I was stopping drinking coffee. And so I got very tired one day and I thought, well, I really need a nap. I just can't work without a nap. Uh, and so, but then I, I reasoned through it. I said, well, if I take, if I give in and take a nap tomorrow, I'm just going to, uh, today, I'm just going to need a nap tomorrow. And it's not going to be easier tomorrow than it was today. So it's just going to get worse and worse. I don't know if that's true because there was the additional factor of having stopped drinking the coffee. But, <laughs> exactly. That's uh, a pretty big effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but is, uh, does this thing of benign neglect, is, it, is that a helpful thing for people to think about? People who get very tired in the afternoon and might be thinking about taking a nap that they might think, well, I just need more sleep to be able to get through the day. Uh, but, but really the benign neglect thing is operative there. Yeah. Benign neglect is where doing less accomplishes more. So, and for, so when it came to your tiredness, when you stopped caffeine totally, then I don't think you tapered down if I remember. No, I don't days. taper. <laughs> exactly. So I think then it is going to get easier and easier on its own. And so the less importance you give the tiredness, you know, just knowing it's understandable that it's there and then let yourself go on with life and do, do what you can. And then tomorrow it's a little easier to do what you can. And the next day it's a little easier to do what you can. So it just gets easier and easier until finally then it's, you don't, you don't notice it anymore. Uh, the, yeah, so I, th I do think that that's, there, there's something similar there. Another thing that happens that goes against benign neglect sometimes is people have all these devices that measure uh, how, restorative their sleep was or how ready they are for a day, the recovery score. Um, and I do think that sometimes it's interesting and helpful, you know, that, that, that people are doing these biometrics and, and checking. But one of the programs says about sleep, the more you know, the better you sleep. And I don't think that's actually right. Sometimes knowing too much about your sleep gets, again, you're too concerned about it. Um, and there's something that happens when people are measuring all these biometrics that if for whatever reason they didn't get a great recovery score, they can think, oh, you know, now today is going to be a bad day and it turns into a bad day. You know, and so you, you make this prediction based on a recovery score that some, you know, something, uh, some device gave you. In, the, in that case, I think it's usually better not to check scores until the end of the, the day. So that if you do want to be tracking how the things you're doing are impacting your resting, you can do that, but don't let it make you come up with a prediction. I think that's another form of benign neglect. You just don't look at recovery scores until the end of the day. And then you can see, maybe there are some things to tweak that would be like better hygiene practices. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, okay, last top, last question on the topic of benign neglect, and then we'll get to what I know you really want to discuss, which is sleep skills. But uh, do, if, if you exercise very intensely on a particular day, like you go on a longer run or a more intense run, would you recommend that people go to sleep earlier that day or sleep in later? Probably go to sleep earlier because we like to keep the wake-up time fixed. Mm -hmm. I would say... Uh, Case by case, it could be fine, you know, to 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 do that. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of data that what one of the big determinants of quality of sleep is the consistency of sleep, and that by and large, people who are hold their hours constant 
without checking any internal sensation, like, do I need more now or less now? You just like let that checking go and just focus on getting regularity, sleep regularity, that that actually makes up for a great deal of other, like even if you needed more sleep technically, you know, but the regularity in your sleep has its own benefits that doesn't come purely through quantity, but it's that your body knows what to expect when and it gets good at doing it on the right time and in the right time frame and it's good at making sure you wake up with energy. So if it's like a one-time thing, probably not. If you got into a regular habit, you could experiment. And if you went to bed a bit earlier after a really long run, let's say, okay, well then see, is it different the next, the next morning? If you feel really great then the next morning, well then fine. That could be perfectly justifiable. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Now we can dive in, Kevin, to what you are interested in, which is uh, sleep skills. So it's the skill, skills involved in how to sleep better. So I gather that some people have no trouble falling asleep, and I'm one of those people. Uh, and in fact, I fall asleep too often. Uh, but uh, and other people, it's very difficult. So, does that mean that, like people in in my camp, we have skills that somehow we don't know, or they become just so second nature? Yeah. So these, yeah, and I think that's an interesting uh, way of thinking about sleep. How do people who do it well, seemingly without any effort? What are they doing that's working? And it's that kind of thinking, I think, has, has led doctors and therapists to find some, what are the, the common elements you see? And what is happening precisely when people are falling asleep? Uh, people who just sleep well, they may have just stumbled on some good sleep hygiene techniques. Okay, so sleep hygiene is things like, well, you don't have caffeine very late in the day. Uh, you don't have bright lights in your room at night. You you know don't have it be excessively warm if you can avoid it. You so see, you try to have a cool room, a dark room, you know. And, and there's all these things that go into what are called you know, sleep hygiene. But those, in a way, are external strategies. It's generally things that you do to control other variables, but they don't touch directly on sleep. So they're not skills. I think that's the right way of saying it. They're external strategies, the kind of skills I'm talking about are internal strategies. Yeah, I like that distinction. I think we make it with respect to work. Is there things that you can do to, say, organize your workspace or prevent distractions or turning off your phone? Those are all external things in, in a sense. But we like to emphasize, and those are can be helpful and important, but we like to emphasize reframing mindfulness challenge, the preparation of your mind for the work. So this is what we're talking about here. How do you prepare your mind now to sleep? Exactly. And the ideal way of knowing that you found a sleep skill is that you could practice it during the day in some regular way and get better at it. And then you would generally see the, the, the generalizing of the skill to, to sleep. So that now when you go to sleep, it just tends to happen more easily. So there are, there are some things that do that. Maybe, maybe the best thing to understand is, uh, what is happening in the minds of people who get stuck awake? Now, by and large, what happens is there's a verbal apparatus in the head that just keeps talking. So they're thinking through things. Maybe they, they really wish they weren't thinking through things. Maybe, you know, and so they're trying not to worry or ruminate, but yet they keep worrying and ruminating. Ruminating is usually just repetitive thoughts about the past. 
and worries about the future. But these thoughts are experienced as intruders that are intruding on the night's sleep. And then they start showing up. But it could even just be recognizing that you're not falling asleep. And then you're like keeping track. You know, no, people might be looking at a clock, which is one of those sleep hygiene things I do think is good to not do. You don't have a clock in the bed, in the bedroom that you can, that you can view from the bed. You know, that is a great sleep hygiene practice. Uh, so it can happen then that people are struggling with their thoughts at, at night. And then you want to see how do you turn off the verbal machinery, you know, that so that they can actually fall asleep. To get into this, there is a stage that you go through every night when you're falling asleep. So if you if you've uh, say you fall asleep, you know, with no problems, oh, that means you're just moving through this stage effortlessly. The stage is called hypnagogia. So and it, it's the what is the stage in which you are entering sleep? And then there's something called hypnopompia, which is when you're coming out of sleep. In med school, we have to learn these terms. I remember you you go to bed, that's hypnagogia, and then you pop out of bed, that's hypnopompia, <laughs> uh, in the morning. Um, so, but what that is, it's a, it's a unique kind of, of uh, state of mind where it's the right half of the brain, the right hemisphere that starts generating uh, the seeds of dreams. And so the seeds of dreams are multi-sensory thoughts. It's a funny kind of thought. So this is different than the thinking that happens coming from the left hemisphere, which is going to be highly verbal and problem solution fixed. And that's what that tends to keep people up, the kind of cogitating. Yes. yes. So any kind of um, problem solving, you know, and, and that's why you don't want to have to have, you never want to have a big emotional conversation or a big problem come, you know, if you can avoid it right before bed, because then you're going to be problem solving. It's going to be so easy to problem solve. Okay, so what what you can teach people to do is get better at experiencing the other thoughts which are thoughts that are coming that involve all the senses. <clears throat> and they, you can, essentially, they, they like, imagine them like a bubble that will rise in your mind and then float away. But eventually, one of those bubbles carries you and you enter into it and then you're in a dream and you're asleep. So that's what happens as people are falling asleep, that their mind is catching one, they're like, one of these bubbles might be the first one that comes along. You know, somehow the person just entered right into it and they're not even aware of it happening. It's the same that happens then when you wake up in the morning, if you wake up before your alarm. It's a very, especially now in the morning, it's interesting because then you would have had hours of more right-brained activity because that's what tends to dominate in, in sleep. And you actually get more right-brained activity then available to your consciousness when you wake up in the morning, if you wake up before an alarm. And so people often can have great insights, you know, and things that, that come because now they're like able to receive these messages more, you know, and, and they come as memories or images, but usually they're multisensory. Okay. So that you can experience these things as you're waking up. If you wake up 
you know, rather than like trying to force yourself to fall back asleep, it's much better to enjoy the hypnopompic experiences. Just whatever the thoughts that seem to be coming, you can sometimes just remember the last dream you had. And then you enter again into a dream. It's like you can, you, so you can prime the pump for these experiences. And that's where the skills of sleep come in. How do you learn to prime yourself to have these hypnagogic experiences so that you can then fall back into sleep or just to be aware of the hypnopompic ones that happen when you're in bed? Uh, does that all, I'll, I'll, if there's anything here that needs clarifying, let me know. Uh, yeah. So I was a little bit confused on what is uh, the hypnopompic experience. Is it the same as the hypnagogic, but it just happens to, to take place when you're coming out of sleep as opposed to going into yes. sleep? Or is it a different yes. kind of, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it, the reason there is a difference is that as you're falling asleep, you do tend to have much more left brain activity. And so that's where the verbal, the machinery, the, the, that's a little more quiet in the morning when you're coming out of sleep. So that's why people can have, so some, you know, some psychiatrists and therapists, you know, think that that actually is a very unique moment. If you happen to be awake in the morning, you know, and they're in bed before the alarm goes off, just to be curious about the thoughts that come through your mind or the memories that seem to come to mind. You know, and now this might sound strange, but people who have problems with sleep, it's like there's some kind of rapport with themselves has been broken. They don't trust themselves to sleep. They don't trust the process of the brain. They don't trust that it's going to happen. And that like mistrust or distrust seems to activate them as a threat. And then that keeps them awake. And then that makes them even more distrustful of themselves. Seems to activate then, them as a threat, them referring to the person, the, like they're in the threat okay. mode. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like they start to feel, they get, they get anxious because they're not falling asleep. But it's like there's this breakdown of inner rapport that they're experiencing within themselves. And it's a distrust of the, of their own capacity to sleep normally. One of the things that people do right who have no sleep problems is they just simply trust that they'll sleep well. And they trust their body, they trust their brain that it's going to work, and it does work. It's the problem is when you, but you know, so that's the idea. Does that make sense? Loss of rapport with this, yeah, these things. And so one way of building this rapport back then is by learning to be curious and welcoming of hypnagogic phenomenon. You know, and so the the kinds of images or multimodal, you know, multisensory experiences that just come through the mind, um, there, it's different than thinking in the logical sequence, which is the left brain way of doing it. And it's more just the emergence of some image. So it's a really cool way of practicing this. Okay, how do you do it? And I think this is, yeah, this is how you build the skill, one of the most important skills, which is, it's called image streaming. Okay. And just a quick clarifier before we jump into it. Will, if you practice this, will you fall asleep? Like if someone's driving and listening to this episode and they want to practice along, are they going to fall asleep or? Um, no, you wouldn't be able to practice though while driving. Okay. This is, this is the kind of thing I can describe the practice, but you need to do it when you're not driving, uh, and you're, or you're not exercising. You know, so this would only work when you're, when you're resting. Uh, so, 
the, 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 the skill you could say that makes it easier to get like enveloped in these hypnagogic thoughts as they arise is to make them more vivid. And that's what happens with image streaming practice. What you're going to do is give your mind a chance to give you unbidden images, just to take whatever images, you know, come from it. And gradually these get more and more vivid. Okay. So an easy way of doing this is you begin in a quiet place with a prompt. The prompt was, makes things more, a little more interesting in the daytime. Uh, and the prompt would be something like a question, like, you know, how could I take a new approach to dealing with Bob? Or how could I, you know, what's the best way for me to explain this to, you know, in this upcoming you know, presentation I'm giving? Or how could I, so you can ask yourself some kind of question, whatever something you'd like to improve in, or I don't know, what's the most I could benefit from this kind of exercise? It wouldn't be like, what am I going to make for dinner tonight? Probably not. That might be a little too, you want it to be more like open-ended because what's going to happen then is you just like essentially are going to wait and hear the three rules. Rule number one, any image or thought that comes to mind, you're going to try to elaborate it with all five senses. So if you think of a spatula, then you're going to think of the spatula as weight and smell and texture and color, you know, and I don't know, the sound it would make, but, but you're basically going to be working through, you know, you're going to, you, and, and then that can turn into a more full elaboration, but there's other things now in relation to it. The sound as it touches the, uh, you know, as it's flipping the egg, you know, and the pan, and then you just keep expanding it out like that. That's if spatula is what happened to pop in your mind. Right? Cause you said dinner. I think that's why I was thinking spatula. Um, and you describe it until it just seems like it's done. But you say it, do it, number, rule number two, in the present tense. So rule number one, use all five senses to describe whatever comes to mind. And then you do it in the present tense, like it's happening right now. And then you do it out loud. That's rule number three. So you, you, if you have an iPhone, you use the voice memo program. And you just record the voice memo and speak. And, you know, if you have something, you know, you just speak. What, and you say out loud whatever images are coming to mind. And at first, it might not seem like many images come at all. Gradually, and you do it for, you know, say, five or ten minutes. You set an alarm so that you know when it's over. Ten minutes is a good amount of time. Uh, what happens is gradually with time, one, you will get these images. You don't know what to do with them, but you say them out loud. And then you can go back and listen to them later. And the iPhone is cool because when you play back a voice memo, you can have it skip the silences. So that way it doesn't matter if there's a lot of silence as you're waiting for the next image to come. And then you'll see that you get new ideas and insights. So I've used this for preparing talks where I just wasn't sure what's the best angle to start with. And I did the image streaming and it, it, unexpectedly I got a very clear image of the, the exact story to use to start with. And it, and it really just unlocked, you know, it was a six hour workshop I was giving, you know, and it just unlocked the entire workshop, you know, but it all is just, it's just like the, the answer is somehow there. No, I, I think that's really interesting and, and it's a fun thing to experiment with. But the more people do this kind of image streaming practice, there's data that, and experiences in clinic, clinically that two things happen. 
The weird thing in the data is that IQ points go up. So this has actually been uh, studied as you know in people in in uh, college campuses, and there's something like they estimate a a point nine increase in IQ for every cumulative hour spent doing this. Uh, now, the average IQ in the beginning of the study was 95, and at the end was like 103. So these people right at the midline for IQ. We have no idea what this means at the different ends of the spectrum and, and whatnot. But this is interesting then, and it makes sense in that our intelligence, our IQ, is an entirely right brain thing. So that's why if you have a stroke in the left brain, it doesn't take away your IQ. Uh, and language is entirely left brain thing. So if you have a stroke in the right brain, you lose IQ points, but not language. Uh, so there does seem like this is a way of trying to integrate the the two halves of the brain. You let the right brain generate images on, you know, there's a prompt, but other than that, you're not trying to think of anything. And you use the left brain verbal apparatus to say it out loud and comment on it. That occupies it and makes it subservient to the exercise so that now it's kind of serving what the right brain is doing. So that's how you do image streaming. You can actually do any, you can do a search on YouTube for image streaming technique and you'll see this, this laid out. Some people have more involved ones that have eight steps and I would just say, don't worry about it. It's too much detail or it's just too many things. The main thing is all five senses in the present tense said out loud. They do that for a certain amount of time, like 10 minutes. Okay. So Kevin, how does this help us sleep? So it ends up making the hypnagogic phenomenon, these thoughts, more vivid. So the more vivid they are, the easier they are to then to encapsulate your consciousness. Like the, the take, you, know, you, you could take it into the bubble and carry it away in a dream. So the uh, like the Navy SEALs, what they use to teach people to fall asleep instantly, is is having people um, practice imagining themselves on a boat in the middle of a lake that's gently rocking in a very peaceful setting. You know, and that becomes this multi-sensory. So it's just teaching them how do you construct your own bubble. And you can do that too with this technique if you wanted to. You, you could just work on getting one restful image heightened. So you learn to practice having this certain image. And then the, if you practice that, that would be a little different than your regular image streaming practice. But it's the same idea of heightening how vivid the multimodal, the visualization is. And that actually makes it easier when people go to sleep then, that they can then more vividly imagine it and they go right into it as in a dream. So this is the, again, it's the standard way Navy SEALs are yeah. taught to, to fall asleep. That's that's interesting. Wait, so so just to clarify, uh, does the image streaming practice, in the in the one, on the, it, it strengthens their ability to form these images. So then just doing it during the day is going to help you at night. You're going to form richer images but then you can also do it at night when you're when you're wanting to fall asleep yeah but then it's you, more, when you go to, you're just kind of waiting then when you're in bed you're just peacefully waiting for the next image to come and then do you do the describe it the according to the five senses in the present moment just not no, out loud no or? nope you don't do that at all uh, when you're yeah in bed you you just you you can notice them to make it more rich um you know and if you wanted, then you could also then you know practice you know having it be 
being in a very safe, familiar place. You know, like it could be, or it could be with a person that you love. And so it's just the presence of that person. So then you, and then you just round it out. So, you know, that, uh, so, so there are different ways you could, you, you know, prime certain, you know, certain of these images, you know, when it comes to bedtime. The, the key is that they're not verbal strategies. They're multi-sensory strategies. That's what makes them more like a dream. And it's like this, it's the middle stage between being fully awake and being fully asleep is, is that you have these more vivid uh, dreams happening or um, hypnagogic experiences happening. I see. So, uh, well, Kevin, I mean, we're, we're basically now out of time. I, th- I think we've gotten through the main idea, but I don't know if there's anything you want to add of takeaways or just to, to round out the picture. This is one of those ways in which there are skills that can be practiced, you know, in the daytime that then are used to actually, you know, go into the sleep stage at night. Um, we don't have time to talk about it here today, but there are other practices of learning. It's basically something like a body scan of learning how to just open up to the sensations coming from the body so that you're a little more grounded, um, there's a, one practice that uses this extensively is sleep mindfulness or yoga nidra is what it's called. But it's just a form of mindfulness training you know, that is thousands of years old that um, uses image work to help people prime the pump of mindfulness. Uh, but it actually ties really into the things we've been talking about here. So if people want to read more, they can look up image streaming or they can look up different yoga nidra practices. It's not for everyone, but some people will find it really helpful. And the military uses these things to um, help people sleep better and, and re- recover their peace. Yeah, Kevin. Well, thanks so much. I yeah, I'm especially excited about image streaming. You know, I think it's going to be great, helping me to become more creative. And uh, yeah, it was interesting also reading a little bit more about image streaming that uh, I guess many scientists have used it. Uh, to help the, c- come up with their theories of you know Einstein how the world works, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so no, so the, the, these thing. techniques actually have been used by a lot of people to be more creative. So give it a shot. I will. Okay, awesome, Kevin. Thanks so much. You're, thank you, Sharif. All right, we'll be back next week. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to check out OptumWork.com for a set of online tools to help you engage challenge in your life. See you next week.